Hello there, welcome to episode number 15 in our series, Orchestrating Measurement. This is the third series of Podrick the Podcast, the incremental podcast that brings interesting guests from different sides of the marketing and marketing tech industry. Today we are grateful and excited to feature Catherine, an experienced user acquisition manager with almost a decade in mobile gaming. We spoke with Catherine about breaking paradigms and about creative and the role of creative in today's privacy-centric marketing space. Before you start enjoying the interview, please remember to subscribe to this channel. We have a weekly episode featuring digital marketing industry thought leaders and experts on our show. And now, with no further delays, let's start the interview. Catherine or Barbara, as as I'd like to call you. How are you? Hi, Barbie. <laughs> I'm good. Hi, Mara. How? Hi, Hadar. Hi. Super nice to have you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. We've spoken many times, but I think you've never sat in this room by your crazy large chinchilla, um, like contraption, basically. Mansion. Like a zoo. It's Mansion, basically a tiny yeah. zoo. It is, but it's not crazy. It is actually only for two chinchillas, and it's an appropriate size. And for, for people listening at home, it's around two meters tall, so it's way taller than me, meter and a half wide. So it does take like a whole whole wall in my room, but it's a good size. Yeah, like half of the screen, half of the screen is the chinchilla's cage, just for the listeners to know. You also have a ferret, right? No, I have guinea pigs. Guinea pigs. Okay. I yeah, have that's, that's the first thing that people will know about me. I'm a crazy pet lady. Hi. <laughs> hello. Nice to meet you. I, I, I must say like a, a small rodents, basically. I love them. So I, I have four, uh, four hamsters. I'm su- I was supposed to have two hamsters. Like I was oh. supposed to have two girls. But as you can imagine. The classic, the classic story. Yeah. But they were <laughs> sisters. <laughs> yes sisters yeah, who multiplied Nature, life finds a way um uh, Catherine <laughs> uh before we go completely sidetrack would you please introduce yourself for the sake of the audience I will try so hi everyone my name is Catherine Sadowska not Saduska and I am in gaming since 2018 which feels wrong because it should be by how I feel, it should be at least a decade, but it's not. But I guess it's some weird time warp. And I did start as a more general marketing person and eventually transitioned almost exclusively to user acquisition with a sprinkle of uh, App Store optimization. I'm trying not to use abbreviation because I heard that we need to explain them a little bit. And I've worked in kids puzzle and other casual genres in studios like Tutor Tunes and Game House. But probably one of the biggest highlights of my professional life last year was collaborating with a knowledge sharing platform called Advice and releasing my first ever course about all things gaming creatives. It really did mess up 
big time with my imposter syndrome, like big time, but I'm still pretty proud of it nonetheless. And I'm also a Women in Games ambassador. And each year I promised myself that I will organize something here in Lithuania where I'm located. But life always goes in the way. But maybe this is the year, new year, new me, new challenge. Okay, that's a very cool introduction, I must <laughs> say. Uh, very impressive. Happy to have you here. Um, so we're here to talk about measurement and our whole podcast series and the white paper we've written um, is talking about marketing orchestration and about having more than one methodology of optimizing spends and making a spend decision and making any related user acquisition decision. Uh, do you agree with that approach? And do you think that we would be here talking about it if it wasn't for ATT? Ah, the ATT. Tracking transparency, I was yes. The gifts from Apple. Uh, so about multiple methodologies for measurement in general, yes, I do agree with a caveat though, which I will talk about later. And the reason why I agree, I think it comes down to two main things. One trusting the data or not trusting the data, and also understanding that users don't exist in a vacuum. So for my first point, I think it was one of the first things that I learned as a UA manager, uh, basically trust no one and trust no data because <laughs> everything lies, everyone lies, and everyone tries to attribute things that are more uh, beneficial to them. Uh, so that was quite a... Yeah, I'm, I'm, re I'm rewatching House, so I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> smiling when you said that. But uh, yeah, but that's a good revelation early on in your career, by the way. But I'll let you continue. <laughs> Sorry, it's better to learn it earlier than later. I agree, and it was, yeah, quite a journey. So I think because of that, and maybe because of my more academical research background, I kind of do believe and prefer triangulation. Uh, I call it triangulation, but I don't know what's the better way to do it. But basically, I do like having multiple sources of data, of measurement or whatnot, compare and contrast them, triangulate, and then either make decisions or make hypotheses. But as I said, there is a but to it, because I think it is pretty time consuming. And it can also be confusing, especially if different models give you different outcome, outcomes and conflicting results. And also, it may require some additional resources because either you need to build something in-house or you need to onboard an additional tool. And it's not feasible for newcomers, for example, for indie developers, for smaller studios. So I do see a benefit of kind of selecting one methodology and sticking to it. It is in a way more headache-free and streamlined, but you need to understand that there is a bit of a downside to it, that it's only, you're only getting one truth while there are multiple truths. Yeah, something else I was thinking, it's important to also to understand that you cannot always use different methodologies for the same thing. Like for example, MMM will probably not help you for your super daily operational tasks. But for more monthly decisions, it could be beneficial. So I think there is also this, this difference that okay, you can use multiple methodologies, but maybe for slightly different things and for slightly different layers of, of decision making. 
Yeah, adjust it to the use case that you are using and maybe adjust it to the persona that is using it. Maybe the mm -hmm. media buyer, if you're optimizing towards a specific, yes. purpose, maybe MMM would be a, if you are, super nice to have. Yeah. But if you're a manager, you probably need additional measurement methods. Yeah, you probably need something higher level and yeah, something more overarching. Something, something you said earlier kind of like was a perfect segue to like the next question I wanted to ask. Um, when user level data was available, it seems like most companies just went for last click attribution. Why do you think that was the case? Well, I think you can do a lot of blah, blah, blah around it that, oh, that's the channel or the ad or the campaign that made the person make this decision to install your game. But honestly, I don't think that's the case. I think everyone was doing it just because it was easy. It was straightforward. The infrastructure was there. There were and there are tools that utilize this methodology and they work quite well. And also it is super actionable. Like you have a data point that this ad brought you this result. Nice, great. My next action point, either use more of this ad, make more of this ad, blah, blah, blah. It's very straightforward, unlike some other uh, measurement methodologies or a mix of those that are a little bit trickier and maybe a little bit more strategic versus operational. But I think it comes down to it's just easier, it's simpler, and the tools are there. And then when... So again, I'm like happy in a way that like there are people like you who, you know, haven't yet spent a decade in the industry. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, but still, um, I don't know, they look at something and it's suddenly they would refuse to accept the obvious truth that everybody shares because it's not that obvious. And actually, it doesn't really make that much sense. Um, and I'm thinking like I'm, I'm still trying to think like. I don't know what what percent of people do you think were the ones who actually understood that you know what? Yes, it's easy. Yes, it's available, but it's not giving us the full answer. Like, how many people do you think knew this? I think that to me, probably the kind of the turning point of this one, how I feel, I don't have data, of course, um, was not ATT, but was. COVID. I know it's an old topic. Everyone is, is tired of it. <laughs> so I think we had, we as an industry had such a great time during COVID. The world was on fire, but we were doing great. We were earning money. So we were really happy. But then after the pandemic was over, like close to over, when it all started normalizing, it felt like a huge drop like huge drop and it still feels so and it is reflected in a lot of things it is reflected in shrinking marketing budgets and layoffs and even closures that we see and i think this is the point when even even large studios and i'm not even talking about smaller and medium-sized ones uh, realized that we need to make every dollar work and that means that we need to look a little bit beyond the last week we need to make sure that it brings us yes some direct uh, results but it also contributes something larger and we were doing it before as well like we were always talking about organic uplift k factor blah 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 so i think in this sense i, th I think after the pandemic a lot of people saw it and also a lot of people not only like ua managers or marketers saw it but stakeholders and execs because 
they are ultimately interested in profit. So I think that's probably the, the kind of, yeah, when things changed, in my opinion, because before, yeah, like when we started getting full transparency, quote unquote, uh, on uh, what we, what was driving performance, everyone was happily relying on that. It, it couldn't last long, not in this reality. Yeah, I think it, it's like interesting point to make because there were two effects. There was ATT starting off 2021, but there was it was still during COVID. So the effect of really feeling the impact of ATT took longer. Like we had also the hangover effect of COVID that only after the hype yeah. of COVID dropped down and the lack of measurement or proper measurement really stood up, it took us time to understand that. And I think that people who didn't have to use kind of other measurement methods who didn't understand the problem didn't really need to like face anything they were just like, <laughs> yeah like I don't think a lot of media buyers even knew what last click attribution was up until a few years ago if if they even are in the details right now because it doesn't really matter so much if you're just doing your job you're you have your uh, measurement method and you trust it you're a small studio you have that I'm doing what mm. my but now you have to be wiser, you have to be kind of more sophisticated, you have to be aware of stuff. So even if you don't know basically deeply what is last click attribution, you should know that attribution on its own is not enough and that you should be looking at other measurement methods. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think it also comes down to what I said earlier, that the infrastructure was there and the partners were there. And you're just like, hey, I have an MMP and MMP I trust. I don't care what is happening on the background there, last click, multi-click or whatnot. And, and, yeah, and you're just going in this wonderful world of full transparency that is not really full and not really transparency. Yeah, yeah definitely. So you talked a bit about your project with creatives and it sounds like something that you like, uh, but creatives is also something that became um, super important it was kind of one of the main controls that advertisers can have today uh, uh, post ATT so do you think that creatives has a role like a most important role right now and also like how do you work with it without user level data yeah so yeah I do love creatives I think I'm a creative mind stuck at a data-driven job not stuck in a bad way but you know what I mean and yeah I think Creatives always played a huge role. Just now we feel it a little bit more because we don't have a bunch of data points. Um, a good creative can make it or break it, but it's still just one part of the picture. It always comes down to your creative, your product, and also your marketing mix slash budgets. Like it is always a dance between those three, at least those three. And I think um, the what has changed with ATT and um, with lack of transparency and lack of even having a lot of post-install data on a creative level is the approach to creative production and to creative strategy as well. I think now, generally, we have to be a little bit more strategic with our decisions. Um, when before, a lot of studios and a lot of advertisers focused on 
like to me it's a pretty utilitarian approach to creatives it was really trying to drill down and understand what is the formula of the best creative it is uh, this cta this color button a hand with this color of nail polish red uh, showing this on the third second showing this on the seventh second blah 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 like it was a really like scientific and utilitarian approach to a creative consisting of a bunch of different elements and i do think that studios that did that while it was still more possible are kind of having a benefit now because they do have this knowledge and they can still apply it versus those who never did those very granular experiments uh, but in general now i think it's more about concepts about thinking uh, about creatives in terms of concepts rather than a collection of elements and what i mean here is like for example let's say if you're running a campaign and you're getting no creative level data like only top funnel like let's say we're only getting clicks and impressions which is not ideal because you know it's performance marketing it's not click marketing so let's say we have this campaign and we still need to do something with creatives we still need to optimize we still need to to experiment so here we would need to have a more strategic approach to how we roll out creatives let's say if we work with a player motivation methodology we can start this campaign with only one motivation with a few creatives covering one motivation we run it for a little bit of time then we see a little bit of creative fatigue happening or whatnot. We want to, um, to add some creatives to the pool. And instead of just dumping five random new creatives, we can add a creatives of a different motivator or of a different concept or of a different something. And then even on aggregate campaign level, we will see the difference. We will see how our roles changed or how our conversion rates changed. So... This is, I think, how we could and should work with creatives now. And I think it also comes a little bit down to working with algorithms instead of against algorithms. Um, like, for example, Google Ads, notoriously known for being a complicated, quote-unquote, network to do creative testing or to even get some creative data. Uh, just because these app campaigns, they mix and match um, assets, and then you have one data on a campaign level, then it data looks different on ad sets level, and then when you try to go to specific creatives, it looks like completely different. And I think for a long time, even again before ATT, before everything, people were trying to crack it and to kind of fight this setup and to fight this algo. Because we had this idea that we need to have super granular granular data on each and every little element of an ad that we are running. And I think it's this change kind of made us all shift our perspective in here. And yeah, I guess my, my point is that we have to utilize what we can what networks have to offer to the best of our ability instead of trying to make networks work according to the framework that we built in our head that's the bottom line 
Do you believe in, so, you know, a couple of years ago, there was a lot of companies who were really trying to go for like full on marketing automation it means remove, remove all parts, like all human parts of it. Like, you know, um, maybe someone dictate the strategy, but then creative should have like these 20 elements and just, just be dynamically built. Um, do you believe in that future? No, I don't. And maybe it's also beautiful wishful thinking because I don't want my fellow me and my fellow UA managers to lose jobs. And I think there are tools for that for both creatives and also for bit optimization. But I don't think they will ever fully replace uh, humans, I hope. Uh, just because the one things can break that's as easy as that and two i think as i said there is some benefit of looking at your creatives like through the lens of a machine or ai or machine learning because that's also how meta and google look at the creatives so there is benefit there but i think there can a lot of things can be missed because at the end of the day we want to tap into people's emotions and that cannot be read by a machine. Of course, it's pretty subjective and it's also pretty hard for a human to really pinpoint this. But I think an ad is a bit more than a combination of elements. And it's, again, it's to evoke an emotion. It's to provoke a person to make them do something. So I think it's a useful tool but again, it's a more utilitarian approach to something that that can be much bigger. Do you think this is, should be a combination? And I wouldn't say should, again, because I'm cautious about uh, the sizes of different studios. So I don't want to say that you must use some machine learning tool and then a human eye. I think it's an additional expense and it's an additional resource. But if yes... I think it's it's quite beneficial because again, we are always working with on kind of two audiences. One is actual human beings, our audience, and that's where your human eye comes in. But another quote unquote audience is the network because they do like tag or flag your ads using sophisticated algorithms, ML, AI, blah blah blah. So in this sense, it kind of also makes sense to gear your production in in these two parallel tracks. But I wouldn't say that it's a must. I think it's possible to do without it. Let's go back to the measurement. Um, so did you ever had any, I don't know if it's like measurement or even UA horror stories? Every day is a little horror story. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I did. Um, one was quite recent actually so I had to cut down an overall UA budget for one game quite substantial like three or four times so a lot of things had to go and decisions had to be made so yeah I did the best I could with my favorite triangulation I looked at incrementality at direct results and so on and it was a pretty pretty challenging decision to make because incrementality was like 
a little bit of something on each of the channels for each of the campaigns. And then I couldn't see much of an organic uplift or whatnot for either of those. So eventually for that decision, I did prioritize. It was on Android, so it was not iOS. Uh, I did prior prioritize um, direct attribution and MMP to make a decision. So I did chop off two out of three channels and it all went to shit. Like so many KPIs decreased on that channel compared to what we had before. Like it was insane. I was really sitting and feeling like that um, little dog meme it, surrounded by fire and it's fine. This Everything is fine. Is fine. <laughs> I love that. Everything meme. is fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was me. Uh, but of course, like, a decision had to be made and probably I would have seen similar or even worse this, things. But by the way, this is amazing because, you know, we like often... <laughs> amazing. We, no, like for me to hearing that, <laughs> because like the analogy, I always like explaining like attribution versus incrementality is that attribution is uh, like allowing you to basically understand who scored the goal. Okay, using the football analogy, I, I know nothing about football, by the way, but like who scored the goal? And if you use only that to make your decision, you'll end up firing the goalkeeper and all the other rest of the team because they're, well, they're, they're yeah. not scoring goals. Why do I need them? And what you're sharing is literally that you fired the goalkeeper and suddenly the guy scoring the goal or the woman scoring the goals were not doing such a great job. Exactly. Yeah. I also know nothing about football, but this analogy makes sense <laughs> to me. <laughs> yes. um, but yeah, that, that happens. And, you know, it can be perplexing to a lot of people as well, because um, the opinion that I hear quite often is that all networks are kind of fishing in the same pool. And yeah, we're showing kind of, yes, but the point is that we're showing ads via different networks in the same places to the same people, which is not really the case. Like Meta has a few of their unique native placements that like a Facebook feed or Instagram feed that may not be working directly, but this is something that is always on people's minds. What I always like to remember is, so if you think about it, Google has 96% market share globally, like 96% of users go to Google or use a Google product. Meta? roughly the same it's the same users it's just it's you <laughs> seeing an ad here 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 it's not that like meta targets people in mars google targets people in neptune and yeah. it's like there's it is what it is it's all the same pe people and that's the hard to think of because then when you start thinking that like when you see in a report google facebook meta it's it's literally all the same users the impressions are all the same users the clicks yep. are all the same users there is no real uniqueness like anymore well yes but i think there is a difference in placements i think an ad is perceived differently, be it a rewarded ad versus something you see on an Instagram and, story feed. So I think this is the, the difference. Yeah, but it's a it's a combination eventually. Like you have like yeah, yeah, yeah. have a user journey. You see an ad on Facebook, you see that on a rewarded ad, you see that on a search in Google. Sometimes it's disturbing you, sometimes it's like <sighs> it's facing me. But eventually the decision, like you don't know what exactly made you click eventually. And yeah. It's, yeah. And, and then again, yeah, I and always it's... think that like knowing who scored the goal 
it's not a bad input it's like it's pretty useful to know yeah. um but again if you cut all the rest of the the rest of the team like no goals will get scored yeah and so that's exactly what i saw and of course like i cannot know for sure because i cannot go into uh, people's houses and stalk them for a few days and see what they see what ads and where they see well, you, you can sense. you can you just you choose you choose not to just not for a long time until i get caught and put behind the bars right well the, the but yeah but that, that was kind of marketing <laughs> you know we were joking about it. <laughs> oh, no. when when att just happened we were joking something about that, that we would start going door to door and ask people to please give us your email or something like yes Hey, the golden first party data. Yes. Yeah. And another one, another story that is more, not so much about measurement, but I found it frustrating at that moment, but quite funny. Uh, but once, quite a long time ago, someone made a campaign on an SDK video network and they mixed the impression and click link. And in a few days, when I looked at the data and saw that we had like, Five times more clicks than impressions. <laughs> the hell is happening? And the fix is quite simple, but then you have this messed up data that is just bye. Okay, thank you. Yeah, you can kind of switch it and manually recalculate everything. But yeah, I guess human error <laughs> is still yeah. here, but don't replace us with robots yet. One time I heard of a story of someone sending ad revenue um, impressions. In impressions of uh, ad revenue instead of the revenue itself, like in the revenue box. And then we started, looks like we we had millions of dollars just because of a wrong uh, measurement. Even That's if it's picked peculiar. really quickly, it's a long time data issue. Yeah, but you know, these things happen always. Like there will always be something, some credentials uh, expire. If something is double integrated and you have double ad revenue or something like that like it's just something you have to deal with and unfortunately annoy your data team <laughs> about um so if you had to choose or design it what would the ideal measurement platform look like of course it will have the right data and not the yeah. wrong uh, links that's one that's good yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. I think for me, it would all go down to having multiple views in one view. <laughs> like, let's say one place where I could see for the same chunk of, for the same period of time, for the same OS, for the same geo, whatnot, I could see different perspectives. I could see a little bit of last touch. I could see a little bit of incrementality. I could see a little bit of MMM if it's possible or a different combination. So I think that would probably be my personal ideal. Because as much as I theoretically would like a platform just tell me what to do, I understand that it's not really feasible and also it's not really interesting for me as a UA manager as well, just to rely on what some algorithm decides to tell me to, to do. So I think it would be just the accessibility and reliability of data and different data points in one place. Maybe someone will triangulate the data for you. 
Yes, we already have a name for this platform, triangulate everything. Yeah, a lot of triangles. I don't know, it's a fun word. <laughs> triangles? Triangulate. Triangulate, I agree. <laughs> I, I feel smart saying yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it. Yes, you do. Uh, by the way, maybe maybe uh, 15 minutes before we spoke, I was actually looking at some blogs and I saw the word triangulation quite a bit. So, mm. word of the day. Yeah. Word of the triangulate. day. Triangulate. You guys, um, maybe it will be the word of the year instead of AI. Yeah. What, triangulate. What do you like the most, actually, about being a marketer in like two days world, and uh, like, how do you hope this this role will change? In terms of like how it will change, I feel that we are all becoming more generalists again. I think a few years ago the trend was going more like specialized specialist route, and now. Because of all the changes, so we need to be a bit of generalists here. And to me personally, uh, like I'm not 100% sure that I will be working on this or similar role for the rest of my life, be it in gaming or not. Like I'm not set on this. But what I like currently about it is that it, it mixes data and creativity. And I know that not everyone thinks this way. People think it's just data, but to me, it's always a combination of both and it's creativity backed by data or something inspired by data. That's just how my brain works. And I like, like the, the thing that really attracted me in the first place many years ago to use our acquisition specifically was to be able to see the results of your work quite clearly, like those were numbers or graphs or charts and now of course it's not that easy and that straightforward but i think that's still something that really that i really really appreciate about this you do something and then you can see the fruits of it and the results of it. you can still see graphs and charts of your yes yes no i get I, again I, th no, I think like again the notion in the past of like this whole like deterministic deterministic user level tracking and so on it's like oh this is how i brought joe uh but reality is if, if you would actually go and ask joe hey joe why did you download my game i'll say because jane had it yeah <laughs> so it can kind of like you lose the credit that you thought you you had but in reality is that maybe jane and joe are the result of what you actually did if you take it like one step higher um yeah but i also think that you know we need to in general look a little bit broader like i don't care about jack or joe or whatever i care about a million of users that i brought this month like a very aggregate very top level yeah. uh, data and then it's it's kind of yeah in a way i don't i don't really care if they came from a recommendation or from something. I need a more generalized idea of it. Yeah, it's a it's a very incremental point of view. Yeah, <laughs> from an aggregated and a, yeah, I, I honestly think this is a, the only way we're heading is aggregated data and understanding your performance based on that. Um, yes, really yes, and you know, for me, like I came from a kids game studio which is a very very specific audience that had to be really regulated like it already started many many years ago so 
I never had user-level data. I never had IDFAs. I always had to work on aggregate level. And it's okay. The complicated part, again, was that the ecosystem and the infrastructure was not built for that. That's the main problem. The problem is not that I don't see user-level data. about it. I need big chunks of data. I need big decisions. So to me, it was like when everyone was hysterical about the user-level data, I was like, huh? What do you do with that? Yeah, sure, you can do like retargeting and re-engagement, but I don't know, it's doable. It's just that the, the tech should be there. Okay, we're at the end of our podcast, which was really nice. Um, and we want to ask you a fun question, which is usually what would be, what would you play if you were in an orchestra? But I would also like to ask you, what is your spirit animal? Because you like animals so much. So what I would be playing if I were in an orchestra is probably a triangle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've set the ground for that. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, like in a way, I was, but I wasn't expecting this. <laughs> We should have expected that. Yeah, actually, like, I, I'm surprised how well it fit in in our triangulation talk, but even <laughs> if not triangulation, I would have probably responded triangle because I never learned to play anything. Once back at like kindergarten, we had one day of a simulated orchestra and I was given a triangle and that was all I could do just to I have now already Google Musical Triangle. I think this will be the best goodies in a conference we can ever think to give. <laughs> like think how how random and how <laughs> incredible would be to give branded musical branded. triangles. How can we brand a triangle? Crazy. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Engrave it. Um, yeah, and for spirit animal. Um, and by the way, I know that there is a uh, discussion around this term in general. I don't know if we can use it as non-indigenous people, but for the sake of the question, yeah, there, there is because spirit animal is something very important for specific peoples of specific continents, and maybe we don't understand it deeply enough. But if just to transfer it to an animal that I think represents me the best, I think it's it's some sort of a rodent, like a hamster who is extremely anxious and who likes to eat and to sleep. Okay, that's very cool. As a pretty anxious person, uh, you are very smart and fun to talk to. Uh, and even though you don't have a decade in the industry, to me, it sounds like... Oh, uh, now you will be reminding more. this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, Catherine, she's not a decade here. Yeah, you will be, you will no, be. No, but, but like, a, the, reason uh, why, the reason why you think it's a decade, I'll, I'll tell you what, it's like, because any year in mobile advertising, digital advertising, ad tech is counted in dog years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone. Because right. yeah. the like look, our 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 jobs like go through changes that other industries go through like decades. Like, yeah. Our world changes so drastically, mm -hmm. so fast. Show me any other industry that is as global as our industry. You can be sitting anywhere on the planet, clicking a button, boom, running a campaign in 200 countries. Yeah. Show me any industry sure. that allows people to do that. That's why we like grow up mature and it feels like we've been doing this for way longer. Yeah, 
yeah, true. But I think there is also a bit of a dark side to it that also comes a little bit with AI, 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 and all the layoffs and, and closures that I mentioned already. Like, I feel that in a few years, because we don't have a lot of entry jobs anymore, it's really hard for juniors to get any job, either because AI can replace them, especially in art, or because studios cannot afford to have a junior, even though it, it sounds counterintuitive, but everyone wants to have seniors so they contribute immediately. No one has time to, to teach a junior. Like, I think that in a few years, we may be a bunch of overworked and burned out millennials just stuck at our job without any new faces and fresh brains to disrupt this work. And I think that's kind of a darker side of it because we all I'm, I'm feel less, if I'm it's counted in dog years. I'm less, <laughs> I'm less pessimist, I would say, in that front. Actually, I don't see AI as a threat. I still see myself as an executive hiring junior people and teaching them and like appreciating a completely different out-of-the-box perspective rather than my own. Um, I'm actually like, I don't know, like more of an optimist towards the future. I think we as millennials are screwed, but Gen oh, Zs... This is great. We need more of them, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. And we will. I think that we will. Uh, I think we will get out of this kind of a uh, couple of uh, rough years in the industry, and then we will be in growth mode again and be able to hire more juniors. Yeah, and, let's yeah. hope so. But you know, this few years, if we count it in dog years, it's like 20 for us, and we're already sad and old by the age of 35. Oh no. <laughs> Thank yep. you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And good luck in all the great things that are coming. Thank you. I need it. Cool. It was nice talking to you. See ya.